welcome back to another very exciting episode of Catch-Ups in My Kitchen, the podcast about all things food. This week I am honoured to be joined by Louis Blake, plant-based entrepreneur who has been involved in so many different businesses around plant-based. He has opened and run many restaurants, invested into many plant-based and sustainable brands, and is currently the CEO of Miami Foods, which is a clean alternative protein brand which focuses on clean ingredients, as well as focusing on bringing these new proteins to new markets across the UAE. Louis has been in the plant-based space now for a while, whilst also being on his own health journey where he has put his wellness first. This is such an interesting episode where we talk about not only what we eat, but also how we eat and where we eat and how we need to connect with our food. As well as food, Louis and I discuss the journey to opening plant-based restaurants and how hard the restaurant scene is, but also how rewarding it is. Honestly, this is a fantastic episode. I learned so much and so I think you're going to love it too. So let's get on with the episode and as always, have a lovely rest of your day. Louis, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to talk about all things plant-based, your journey and everything. But first of all, how are you? Fantastic. I'm feeling we're I think obviously no one can see that we're on the hottest uh, day of the year so far, but it certainly feels like it. So yeah, very grateful for the weather today oh God, and I, to be here talking to you as well, I of course. I agree. No, I'm super excited. So to kick things off, we have a quick fire round about all things food. Straight into it. Straight into it. Love it. Sweet or savoury? Ooh, savoury. Juicy burger or overloaded salad? Overloaded salad. Crisps or popcorn? Popcorn. Ice cream or sorbet? Sorbet. Cook in or eat out? Eat out. And what's your favourite delivery? Oh, do you know what? I've been getting Attis like oh, yeah. almost every day. Like the Bilgerone bowl, yes. tempeh, quinoa, kale, broccoli. I wrote that. There's like a, they do like this like satay new sourcing. Oh, amazing. Like cashew satay. Vibe. Heaven. I feel like yeah. those are really good to order in because there's so many different components to it. Big bowl. You won't really make that at home because there's so much that goes into and it. If you're cooking for one as well, like cooking for one, yeah. by the time I've actually bought all the individual components, it's actually more more cost effective and less ways for me just to buy it right 100% I love that so when I was kind of doing my research into your journey I was like wow you've been super busy so can we start with like before vegan Mm. kind of the football nightlife scene Mm. and how you got from there a bit of a whistle-stop tour from how you got from there to Miami Foods and kind of where you are today cool yeah sure so I think I've been fortunate to have a blurred line between interest and work my whole life I've never had a job I've always been able to work on things that I've found interesting Mm. Um, so football was the first thing Um, loved it built my first business as a football school Um, then I loved as most young people do and some older people um, love partying so built a initially a student events company and then had a few nightclubs and then moved to London and was doing a similar thing here and then um, I got into actually got into recruitment accidentally because I was connecting with lots of different hospitality professionals ended up connecting people with each other found out that I was accidentally doing recruitment and not getting paid for it. And uh, yeah, then went into, into, into recruitment. And it was around this time um, that I was still doing the nightlife and had some pretty unhealthy habits. So overworking being one of them, definitely stressed, running multiple businesses at once, awake or hours. But mostly this was compounded by 
not eating particularly well. Um, so I was eating on the go all the time, lots of fried foods, lots of unhealthy foods and having a fast metabolism, you don't really notice the effect on your body because you're not necessarily getting fat, um, but you're not feeling great, right? Like you're irritable, you know, low mood, which I now understand to be connected with the gut um, and certainly wasn't eating what I now know to be a healthy diet. And so this kind of culminated in chronic fatigue and burnout mid 20s looking for ways to uh, improve my well-being and came across quite an extreme version of, uh, of a vegan diet, I suppose. Uh, Dr. Sebi's alkaline diet, whole food, plant-based, uh, very restrictive, mostly raw. Did that for a month, felt just amazing. And then like most people who discover veganism or plant-based, wanted to tell the whole world about it. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah so this is it was quite a um an interesting road into it. i mean this is nearly 10 years ago so it certainly wasn't the the popular movement that it is today yeah. and people thought i'd lost the plot maybe i'd been on like a seven day <laughs> session and <laughs> had this it. like weird breakthrough but yeah it was um it stuck mm. it certainly stuck amazing what i love about your journey is that you prove that you don't have to stick to one thing like you've hopped and i think it's really refreshing to hear people who've done that because often you get into something and you're like this is me set now and actually it's not like you can just hop from nightlife football recruitment vegan like you know it doesn't have to be set in stone that what you start off doing is you for the rest of your life even more so today right mm. there's so much of this you know people change careers all the time and um, there's new technologies that come out all the time if you're a social media manager today 15 years ago your job didn't exist right so it's about being adaptable i think it's mostly about following what you're interested in because if you're waking up in the morning and you're thinking i cannot wait to get going today i cannot wait to work on this you're building something that you you're connected to that you love that you you're interested in ultimately mm. your experience of life is much better than you're waking up thinking oh, if i can just get through this it's a completely yeah. different way of way of living so Definitely. i think there's such an importance and we change we evolve we grow yeah. and what we're interested in also changes evolves and grows but to be able to have that perspective i think you also need to be comfortable with the fact that nothing's permanent yeah yeah nothing's permanent we can't hold on to anything so, so it's enjoying what we're enjoying at the moment and being in touch with ourselves to understand does this still speak to me in the way that it does being able to have that that internal kind of analysis and and when it doesn't having the um the foresight and the i guess the the, the bravery in some in some respects mm -hmm. to say okay this doesn't serve me anymore I'm actually interested in this. Let me go and try this. You're like yeah. giving yourself permission to start again constantly, right? Definitely. And I think that's something that I've recently gone through. And I think sometimes you get worried about, oh, but I put myself out there in this, as this person who owns a vegan business and now mm. I'm I'm changing and am I, am I allowed to do that? And of course you are. Like, I think you kind of get worried about what society's mm. going to think and, yeah. oh, are they going to think I'm now a failure or mm. am I now? I think it's, yeah. I think pivoting is Nobody important. Cares. No one, yeah, no one Nobody cares. actually cares. No one cares about themselves, like, <laughs> no, let's be honest. Like, no yeah. one actually cares. Nobody cares. So what was your, I mean, you kind of touched on a bit of how you felt pre-vegan, but what mm. was your kind of lifestyle like when you were doing all the, the kind of nightlife stuff and the recruitment, like in terrible. comparison to now? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, drinking far too much. And I, I kind of realized now that I was just really unhappy. Mm. Not unhappy first and foremost with... I didn't, love, I didn't have any love for myself at all. And that's evident in the way that I was effectively destroying myself, right? There was no regard for my own health. And I think if you do not love yourself, it's very difficult to then love other people. 
yes and if you're putting the energy out that's going to be reciprocated so one of the biggest differences i realized through adopting a, a vegan diet and then i guess embodying vegan principles was an understanding of the impact that my actions made on other people Mm. which is effectively empathy right yeah i would say before that i wasn't the most empathetic person it was very much my life was predicated upon what i can get for me Mm. which is a fear-based mindset which says i have a lack and therefore i need this Um, and the transition when i was in a much cleaner vessel as we'll call, call the body was operating from a place of love i have enough i have more than enough i have enough to share um and ultimately i love myself and therefore if i love myself i have an, i love other people and then my interaction with people change and that's probably one of the biggest things is i guess i feel like i'm probably a much nicer person to be around yeah. and i certainly feel better right i think that we can make if you're in a a calm state of mind a healthy body we can make decisions that are more in keeping with what we actually want for ourselves and others Whereas when we're in a toxic body, a state of dis-ease, it's very difficult to be happy. Mm. And and if you're not happy, it's very difficult to be nice to other people. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, true. just a huge, huge shift in that respect. And this is based on not just the foods, but also the way that you treat yourself, the way you speak about yourself, the things you do for yourself, um, which become easier when you're in a healthy body. And I think the foundational principle for a healthy body is around what you put into it mm. and that is the foods and the, and the drinks that you that you that you have definitely like that's kind of the whole reason that i did the podcast is because like food we all eat and food is everything like mm. obviously it's not even just the substance you're mm. eating it's the way that you're preparing it the way that you're thinking about it the way that you treat yourself like it's all down to that and i think it affects like, as you just mentioned like literally every part of our whole life which is crazy because yeah. some people just think of food as oh like some people would prefer to take a tablet and then just be done with it whereas for me food is like everything and it can be everything right it doesn't mm. just have to be it doesn't have to be a, a compromise mm. which i think a lot of the time we're told when we're young that healthy food is a compromise right. you're choosing health or taste yeah yeah and a lot of our problems i think as a society and as individuals is our inability to think long term over short term so, so we're, cho- we're opting for the short term palatable reward of something that tastes good over the long-term benefit of something that makes us feel good and builds our health over the long term but you can have both yeah we spoke about i'm thinking about the atis salad and i'm like yeah. salivating right it's, yeah. it's amazing that but your, your palate can can change as well yeah. um and it can be both but there's a degree of work that's involved mm-hmm. and again if you look at where our the direction that our culture is taking anything that requires any effort is becoming more and more difficult for people to do yeah yeah so you have to seek out these 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 recipes or places or cook for yourself oh, it's too, too much hard work let me just order this or mm. go back to what i know return to, to what i know eat something that's fast that's satisfying because yeah. again we're choosing short term over long term that's where a lot of our problems come from 100 percent, and also education i think you know we the brand the branding for chocolate sweets fast food is like delicious tasty quick easy mm. and then maybe in the past branding for healthier food is like clean healthy there's no broccoli board right yeah it's like <laughs> what's going on like it's a branding whereas actually yeah. we, i feel like we are now blurring the boundaries between health and delicious i think people are now like mm. wow that salad was unreal and but also education on not all salads are healthy sure i think that's also a, a, a mm. really interesting discussion like some people might be like oh i'm gonna have that chicken caesar salad because i'm gonna be healthy today 
you, really like yeah. I think it's interesting to education is really really key as well like you confusing know, yeah it is confusing like the word salad is like healthy the word juice or smoothie is healthy I mean you can have some really unhealthy smoothies of course so I think and also a burger could be really healthy but good for you I think it's interesting it's um it's, it's challenging for people because there is so much misinformation out there mm. and, and also you know there isn't any science that science in essence is um, an ongoing exploration there's very few things that are defined right mm. it's it's this it fits this um, hypothesis and it's correct based on these things but it evolves all the time there's some principles that we can agree on and there's things that some we can say that one thing is healthier than another but to be for something to be truly health promoting there's very few things that we have access to now that you could describe as a health promoting food mm. i'm not going to sit here and say that my own products are health promoting foods but i will say they are healthier than the alternative they are replacing but i won't say they're a health promoting food mm. and i won't advocate people to eat them every day or three times a day mm. the foods that i would advocate for are organic foods in their natural form mm. that are seeded or that are not human hybrids right. so a carrot for example is a human hybrid mm-hmm. but a carrot is also healthier than eating in its raw form it's also healthier than eating a bag of chips yeah you know so, so there's, there's levels mm. to it and i think the purest way is unattainable for 99.9 percent of people yeah. we're talking like fully organic seeded foods mostly raw alkaline helper this is unattainable for most people. Yeah. But it's also potentially not the most enjoyable thing to follow if you no. also want to have a, a lifestyle in London where you can go for dinners and such. Yeah. So with all of these things, it's about balance. Yes, you can enjoy a plant-based burger. Yes, you can enjoy raw food. It's creating something that works for you. Mm. Um, but it is confusing because we have products that are also mislabeled. It's like yeah. it's like um, you see like clean or healthy written on something which is, you know, oils which are fried which etc it's none of those things so there's a degree of of work on the consumer's part to actually understand what they're eating i think we owe that to ourselves as well it's a worthwhile um investment of our time to understand what we're eating and what feels good to us again the way that we right if we if we're sitting on our phone our phone in one hand conversation going on 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 the other and we're mindlessly eating our food we're not connecting with that food we're Mm. taking very few bites we're swallowing whole we're creating a lot of work for our body to do to properly digest whereas creating a space where you can mindfully eat your food you can set intentions you give gratitude to your food make sure you're taking full mouth bites eating slowly chewing not having water immediately before or after or during there's things that we can do that can make the experience of eating healthier for our body not just the food that we're eating as well that's a really interesting point Mm. how does water affect the eating process so again i (laughs) i'm going to get accused of misinformation what i have found Mm -hmm. and in my research that i've done is that when i do not eat either side of a meal my digestion improves Mm -hmm. so i opt to do that now there's there's various theories on why this is but most of, of what I've read states that around 15 minutes before or after to avoid drinking water. Um, having done it, and having uh, this is what I practice, I find that it's beneficial to me. However, I also use diagnostics to determine how well I am digesting. So I get a blood test every three months. Oh, wow. One of the things that's come up consistently for me prior to doing this was um, low um, stomach acid. Okay. 
Um, and this is caused sometimes by, you know, if I've gone through a phase where I've not eaten well in, in the past, it can take a while for your stomach acid to reform. Since I've, avoid, I've taken digestive enzymes before eating and reduced the amount of water I'm eating before or after meals, I found that my um, levels of stomach acid improved. And the reason stomach acid is important is because it helps you to draw the nutrients from the food. So you could be eating like an amazingly nutrient dense diet, but with low stomach acid, your body won't be able to convert the nutrients in the food that you're eating. So stomach acid is super important. And ultimately, when it comes to supplementation, the only way to know which supplements we should be taking is through diagnostics. So you should be getting tested, right? Especially yeah. if you have had a change, sudden change in diet. If you've gone plant-based in particular, I'd recommend anyone generally, particularly people that are plant-based, get your bloods done, understand your blood panel. Mm. B12 for me was an issue at the start. I've supplemented it. I have no issue with B12 whatsoever. Yeah. Um, iron was an issue for me. Increased um, iron-rich foods, not an issue. Yeah. So I would only have known that because I did the test. Yeah, completely agree. I think we are, I think supplements are highly promoted mm -hmm. at the moment, and I, I get that, but I'm a big believer in try and get what you can from food. Absolutely, absolutely. And like you say, then supplement. Like I recently had a blood test and I was really worried about what's gonna come back, because I was like, God, I'm here promoting my diet. Mm. I really hope that everything's okay, <laughs> otherwise that's embarrassing. And actually it was, it was absolutely mm. fine. Yeah, slightly low in B12. So yeah, I'll supplement But so is that. everyone, right? Everyone's because like, it's yeah. B12, actually you get it from the soil, you know, yeah. is is everyone completely normal to be low in B12, not just vegans, uh, yeah. everyone generally, but also to know what works for you. We're all, we're all same, same, but different. Yeah, right? exactly. So when you turned vegan, you went quite extreme. What, mm. was that an overnight, right, I'm turning vegan and this is what I'm doing? Overnight. How was that? Literally overnight. I mean, I've, I would describe myself as quite an extreme person anyway. Mm -hmm. If I commit to something, I'm all in. Yeah. Um, and it just, it was like a light bulb moment. It's really difficult to explain because it was like this just knowing it's like the lights turned on and I was like this makes so much sense yeah and it it just the more that I continued on the path the the clearer that my thinking got the healthier my body felt the, the more my sleep improved I was training a lot my recovery was better yeah. I was discovering new foods and really enjoying my food I hadn't I cooked a lot when I was younger because I moved away at a young age but since then I, I hadn't really cooked that much and so reconnecting with cooking and enjoying that process and I just kind of fell in love with food again food wasn't really something that I'd I used to eat out a lot but it was more not something that I was really into but I kind of rediscovered this love for food um and the extreme side of it was I had to, I had to make a correction if you look at a lot of detox protocols there's a period where you need, need to take extreme action to course correct so rebuild the gut microbiome um, detoxify this detox the system um improve blood etc you know you need to go to extreme so yeah. what i was reading i read a, a book by a dr gabriel cousins um and he is the one that essentially put forward this diet about the alkaline um mostly raw diet did his protocol for a month just felt incredible Wow. And then I started to loosen it, but you know, I'd have the yeah. odd vegan burger or, yeah. you know, it'd be, it'd be a bit a bit more balanced. Yeah. Um, but certainly I still kind of live by those principles 70 to 80% of the time. That's amazing. So you had dairy, you ate red meat, you ate... I ate all of it. Went... ate all of it. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And a lot of meat, right? It wasn't just like a little bit like, you know, like I'm in the gym, I need the protein. I'm, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm going to go like steak, like all that stuff. Yeah, I ate all of it. I yeah. think that way of doing it definitely works for some people like i do tend to make my life hard for myself but i think i find it easier to do that than mm. to 
drip feed. I mean, mine was more gradual, but that's because I was intolerant to dairy, then I just sure. didn't like red meat, then I just kind of stopped eating chicken. Not because I was like, I'm going to slowly turn vegan. Mm. I was just like slowly cutting things out. And then one day I was like, right, I'm vegan. And that was it. And it's knowing yourself, right? It's knowing what mm. you're going to respond to. I, I know myself well enough to know that it has to be like clean, clean stop. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why it worked for me. Other people I know that have worked, have done it where they've been, it's been gradual. Other people I know that eat meat maybe one or two days a week. I think we're all, yeah. again, we're all, we're all unique. 100%. And we mentioned before we started recording about flexibility and mm. how things may change. Yeah. I really loved that because I feel mm. like people think I'm vegan and that's me now for life. Mm. But can you touch on like your, sure. your opinion on sure. how things can change? Sure. I think we mentioned one of my favorite quotes, which is nothing is permanent, right? nothing is permanent and that's okay and it's a really difficult thing to get to grips with because we our biggest insecurity for most of us is our permanence mm. right it's the fear of death it's the fear of beyond it's a fear of our loved ones not being here or things changing and we want to hold on to things so if you can get very comfortable with uh, impermanence you then recognize your thoughts your feelings your views as impermanent as well and ultimately what i'm seeking is peace and truth and I have to accept that I may have to shed some things to reach those points. If something that I believe is no longer true, no longer speaks to me, I change what I believe. That's that's something that's shifting. Mm. So my position today, as with anything, any of the positions that I hold, it's like our, my opinions and my views are closed. They're not tattoos. Mm. I can change them. I'm yeah. open-minded enough and I'm evolving as a person. So if in a year's time I feel differently or my philosophy changes, I will step into that. Yeah. I don't care what anyone thinks or what I used to be that's how I see the world now my position is open this is what I currently believe I'm open to being to being swayed otherwise I'm open-minded um and I think that should be the purpose of any discussion anyway I try and I shouldn't be emotional I think there's a lot of emotion and a lot of um, divisive talk at the moment around certain topics we should be able to have an open honest and unemotional conversation where both parties and multiple parties having the conversation to reach common ground or a truth or a common understanding to make progress mm-hmm. not to shout their opinion the loudest and prove the other person wrong that sits in fear and ego yeah. i'm trying to sit in 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 a space of love and, and, and progress right so cool this is what i currently think well, well tell me like i listen to podcasts about carnivore diets meat. like i, I want to know i want to be informed and i want to hear different I, I could take that from that that's interesting or yeah. that's interesting yeah i like that argument or i like that that thought process and this has been so more in, more recently i've been really interested in in um sustainability food sustainability food systems how food grows where food comes from and there's so many different views on this whether it's regenerative ag- agriculture with without animals whether it's vertical farming hydroponics and there's so many different theories out there mm. and it's so interesting to take a little bit from each and learn and I, d- I don't really have a strong view on any of it at the moment I'm just open-minded to, to, to all of it yeah right? I think it's so refreshing and I think it's okay not to have a strong opinion on everything because we're learning all the time yeah. I think people often think I've got to have a definitive answer for this or like, fit in one of two camps yeah. are you this or this yeah are you this or, or this like, and you're like do you do you support this or not and it's like it's, you can see that where separation can come, right? And like, ultimately, we need collective action. We need community. We need to be together, work together. Like, we we survive and thrive as a collective. And it feels like there's almost an attack on that collective community to make create division in as many ways as possible. Mm-hmm. So by me being someone that follows a plant-based diet, 
or someone that follows a, a traditional Western diet, I want to be able to sit and converse and have an understanding with that person, not create a barrier where I eat over there, you eat over there. Yeah. Same as in, in any aspect, same if you're, you know, COVID was obviously the big divider, right? There's, there's always seems to be something that's trying to divide us. Mm. Whereas actually we need to take collective action and try and reach some kind of common ground. Definitely. Hey guys, as always, a little note from me about my ebook, Simply Delicious, which includes 30 delicious and nutritious recipes in order for you to expand your recipe repertoire and try some new things. It's only $7.99 and I'll add the link to buy the ebook in the show notes. So check it out and let me know what you think. So you turned plant-based or vegan kind of 10 years ago. How has the landscape changed in this time? Because it's been pretty drastic. How have you seen it? I never expected to walk down a high street and see a McDonald's advertising a vegan product. Like, put it that way. You couldn't you couldn't go to a restaurant for the most part. They wouldn't have a vegan option. Or you'd what have to you ask do? them. You'd just order from the side menu. Yeah. yeah or drink. It was quite sad, really, And it's, don't get me wrong, like, there's some countries you go to where it's still like that. If you mm. go to, like, South France, for example, they just almost laugh at you. They but don't get it. They don't get it. Um, the fact that dairy in some cafes isn't available now Mm. it's it's just crazy but what i will say is for me i saw it so clearly early on i'm like the world is going to move this way i just had this like inner knowing it just made so much sense so our current food system is insufficient to feed the amount of people that we have on the planet it's making people sick um there will be a shift there has to be a shift Mm. and i could see the early signs of it coming so for me, it was like, I just need to double down on this. I quit everything that I was doing, focus fully on plant-based. Um, and it kind of just evolved really quickly between 2015 and 2019. It was just yeah. like this, you know, the space blowing up and you, Henry and Ian started Bosch and that blew up and the guys at Plant Based News were getting, their platform was growing and all the kind of key, I guess, leaders in the space in the UK, who, by the way, we're all working together at this point, right? Yeah. We're all kind of like hanging out and... It was, it was amazing to see everyone go out off and have their success that they had. And it was just super exciting to be play some small part in that kind of that growth. Mm. So you opened your first restaurant. Was it Erpingham House, the yeah. first one? Mm-hmm. And that was in 2015? 2016, 2016. I believe, yeah. And how was that? Because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, the reputation of veganism then was probably still a bit like yeah. earthy, yogi. Sure. How was the restaurant at that point? Um, it's the hardest thing I've ever done Yeah. and a restaurant business is the hardest business in the world and I've done multiple businesses in different sectors yeah. it is the hardest business in the world and I think if I hadn't been doing it for the reasons I was doing it it would have broken me I mean it did it was on the edge of breaking me right because mm. I signed a 15 year lease without having the money to do it so let's talk about that mm. firstly what was how did you do that what was in your body telling so, you to do it so i had some i had, I had some when i had the, the the recruitment business and i had an agency as well and i had a few other things going on had some cash so i quit the businesses um and i was like right i'm gonna open a plant-based restaurant and i spent about six months living in central london scouting spaces i found a space in shoreditch just engaged solicitors i just spent a ton of money and never got anywhere because mm. like stuff would have a fallout and it wasn't flowing and one day i went back to norfolk where my parents live and i found this beautiful grade two listed building in the city center five stories huge 
and no one had been able to make it work. It failed every year. Every year it was a different restaurant, fail, fail, fail. And the rent was like a quarter of what I'd seen in London really? for something that was much bigger. So I made an offer and was like, if they accept it, I'll do it. Made an offer, they accepted it. Wow. And I had to pay the first three months rent up front and a deposit. And so I did that and I was running out of cash. And I was like, if I energetically commit to this and I show momentum and I start talking about what I'm going to build here, people will come. It will, I will find a way. And I have a network of people that I could go to. I've raised money before, etc. People saw what I was doing. I was like, how do we get involved? Like people came to me. So like my, mostly friends and family. I didn't need a huge amount of cash to open. Um, but I, over 12 weeks, built it. And the idea behind it was, especially at that time, how do we look at, um, because there's, there's nowhere near enough vegans to fill this restaurant, right? No. It's not going to be people that are vegan. So how do we think about the, almost the, the, the principles that could be connected to veganism, health, wellness, mindfulness, sustainability, and play on those points to appeal to people that whilst they may not be vegan, there may be some, some interest in those topics. So looking at like people that are interested in yoga, people that are interested in, um, in cookery, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And at the same time, from a positioning standpoint, make it look like a beautiful, this is the, the day of Instagrammable restaurants, right? Or just before that, make it, build it for social and then document the entire process on social as we go yeah. so that people felt invested in the process of it coming to life. Yeah, so every day, document, 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 but also then involve people in that process. So two colors on the wall, which color do you think we should do? Yeah. Get people to vote. So you had this engagement. So by the time we opened, there was all these people locally that were really interested and just intrigued to come and try it. That's made so sure early f- though. Like made sure the food was early. amazing, of course. Mm. And for the first eight weeks, just killed it. Amazing. It was slammed. It was, the food looked beautiful. It tasted great. The experience was amazing. I was there every day. After eight weeks, I just, I'd been there every day. I was just burnt out. Went to LA for a week, recovery. The day I got to LA, Manager calls me crying. The chef's walked out during lunch service. Can you come back? Oh my God. Not, and this is just restaurant business, isn't it? This is just what it's like. Yeah. And then... And you know, did you have to go back? I went back. Yeah. And six, seven years ago, trying to find a vegan chef in Norwich. Probably Forget it. impossible. So we had a period of three or four months where open, close, tried to do something that wasn't at the level before naturally customers weren't happy with it and that all the while the money was dwindling 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 and my accountant said to me you need to think about wrapping up this business so imagine i'd left london i put it out there you know i had a reasonably sized social media following i told everyone yeah. i'd hired my friends like i'd invested all the cash i had and friends and family's cash 15 year lease personally guaranteed underwritten the lease and I'm being told to close it. And I'm sat at home after a shift one night where I'd been in the kitchen washing up, get home, and I'm just looking at all of the, like, the debt sheet and all the money that we owed. And I was getting a barrage of emails, calls, you haven't paid this, you haven't paid this, we're gonna cut off your electricity, we're gonna cut off this. And I could have like, just one of the grounds was swallowing me up. I felt like a failure, you know, I'm 26, yeah. 27. I'd been the person as a young guy that I'd moved to New York, I'd moved to Mexico, I'd come back, I'd set this business up, I'd had some success, I'd made money. And I was then felt like a loser because I'd yeah. almost like gone backwards. I'm, yeah. I'm living at my parents' house. So I've like, 
I'm moved back home, like, mm. you know. And I think something in me was like reconnected with the purpose of why why that restaurant existed. And like there's sometimes 150 people a day coming through here, most of them aren't vegan, and I'm changing their mind. They're yeah. trying it and that they're being influenced to think about the food they're eating. So rather than focus on the money, which in that stage is easy to do, you start grabbing money because mm. you need it, yeah. focus on the why. Go back to fulfilling that purpose. And if it fails, it fails. I'm not dead. Right. And it just started, we found a chef. It started improving. We started doing, thinking outside the box. You know, we, was, we were doing like a class, we were doing like a yoga, like regular like sessions, like really creative with the menu, with how we're speaking to offices, you know, and it just gradually started growing again. Yeah. And um, I'd open a restaurant in London about two or three months after that point. And then I, and then just from there, it's just kind of grown, you know. It's, I mean, there's so much to take from this. Firstly, kind of like honing in on the passion and the why is so mm. true. It's like when you want something badly enough, it's not, it's not going to happen. Like when you're desperate for the money, like for example, yeah. it's not going to come. But when you go back to the reason why and the passion, it just happens naturally because it just feels more organic. Mm. But after that awful experience and the, you know, the, the headaches and the nightmares, you went and did another restaurant. Why? And what also, another uh, part of the question is, what did you learn from the first one that you did differently in the second one? So, so I've only been in hospitality or restaurants, should we say, for about seven or eight years. But I feel like I've had a lifetime of lessons. Because I, I did it myself mostly, mm. right? I'm there by myself, I'm doing everything. I had to learn all of the processes, everything, what worked, what didn't finance everything else i'd had businesses before but a restaurant business there's so many moving parts right so i hadn't done a proper feasibility on the business to understand my i understand i had an understanding of break even but all of these variable costs which don't happen with a typical business where having to hit a certain food percentage a certain, certain labor percentage having to have you know cash flow to pay for x y z whatever it is so i learned a hell of a lot and i saw london evolving as a vegan scene and I'd mentioned to a friend that I had a concept that I developed. I'd been going to LA for the last three or four years prior to that and coming up with a concept that was called California Kitchen. And he's like, you know what? I think my business partner would like potentially invest in that. Could you get X amount of money? And I think between us, the four of us, we could all throw in and we could do this concept. And it ended up costing more than it probably should have cost. And um, collectively, you know, just shy of well, just under a million pounds to open it. But we created this amazing uh, pink California kitchen restaurant on Tottenham Court Road. Amazing. And it just opened. It was like, bang. It yeah. was super cool. So I had Norwich. I had that. And I was going between the two. And they were both young businesses, both restaurants. So it was then learning, how do I manage multiple at once? Mm. And invariably, you know, there were some internal disputes with that business, which I won't go into. But it led to me then working with um, the team that brought by Chloe to the UK. They had four sites. And then I eventually folded in Erpingham House or my share of Erpingham House with a fund. And me and my business, current business partner set up a, a hospitality fund about three years ago now. 14 brands, mm -hmm. uh, US, UK, UAE, with open multiple sites. Amazing. But none of that would have been possible without all the struggle that came from that first site. Yeah. So I think, you know, what it taught me was that the resilience first and foremost is one of the most important things, reconnecting to the why and in a literal skill set sense, like 
how to operate a restaurant business and do every job in that business so that you know it inside out. Yeah, I mm. mean, if you can do that, I feel like you can tackle anything else anything. the industry has to throw yeah. at you. And I mean, now what's transpired, and I'll touch on briefly because I haven't spoken about it before, my biggest advice to anyone when taking on a bricks and mortar business is do not sign a personal guarantee and do not underwrite the lease. And if you are going to do it, understand the implications. I signed a personal guarantee on a 15 year lease for that property in Norwich. I then signed a seven year lease personal guarantee for a property in Brighton, which I opened three days before the first pandemic. Oh my gosh. So, and you know, for context, landlords during COVID were not obligated to give any discounts to tenants. Mm -hmm. So my landlords did not give me any discount. So even though we weren't legally allowed to trade the business, and even though I'd folded the business into this fund structure, I was still liable individually for the rents on both of those sites. Oh my God. At full price. So you can imagine from cash flow, you're paying out rates and rent. Rates were discounted in, in stock for a while, but let's say rent, for example, that whole time. And then when we reopened, obviously we had the burden of the rental debt that we're up against. So this is why a lot of businesses are struggling and people say, oh, why is my favorite restaurant closing? Well, a lot of those businesses were paying tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds in rent while they were closed. So when they reopen, they're starting in a deficit. Yeah. Yeah. So when I reopened that business after COVID, by that point we had three sites. We had Norwich, we had Brighton, we had uh, Edinburgh for Eppingham House. And we had a mm -hmm. pop-up in London. I was repaying, the business was repaying all of the rental debt from COVID, as well as its current rent, in a market that was nowhere near back to where it was before. Yeah. So we had a thriving business that then COVID, and then not only was it had it dropped, the market had dropped. We also had that rent that rental debt to repay. Mm. So eventually, it made the business untenable in those locations. And our strategy with the fund was to focus on UAE and London. Yeah, and the site we've got a site in New York as well. So. As it wasn't consistent with the strategy, we decided to close Brighton first, and then we would get, give Norwich a while, but ultimately we'd close Norwich. When those businesses closed, the rent passed to me. Now the landlord has a personal guarantee from me for the remainder of the term. Mm -hmm. Why would they let me give the keys back? They wouldn't. Yeah. They know they're guaranteed that I'm gonna pay the rent for the remainder of the term. So there's me sitting there, I've had to close the restaurants that were two of my, uh, one of my brands. And I had the five years on one site and 10 years on another with rent that I'm paying. And the total the total was six figures per year. Oh my God. Sounds so, like hell. So the, the stress and the pressure was just insane because not only am I having to navigate the business through these times, I've also got this personal, um, which none of the other shareholders had. had. It was just me. So I've just settled one of them, which had three years left and I had to pay an obscene amount to get out of it and I'm about to settle the other one. Wow. And during this time, I'd also taken on a warehouse back in Norwich and I'd built an indoor football center and I'd personally underwritten that as well. My so God. I had three leases, commercial leases, with a total annual rent of six figures, which I was locked into and stuck and could not get out of without paying up front a huge amount to get out of them. Wow. And in it by myself. And then you kind of realize, and what I learned through that process was, no one is coming to save you. No. You're in it. And this is, this is what entrepreneurship is about. Yeah. It's about risk. 
So people think, oh, it's fluffy, it's fun, you start a business, a brand, whatever. No, no, no. Understand the implication fully. Not only are you putting yourself out there for the world, you also, a lot of the time, have this huge potential risk that not only will it may not work, you will have to personally clean it up. Yeah. Which is what's happened, right? So it's Just taught me a lot about fully understanding risk profile, fully, um, obviously I wanted to commit. I was really willing to burn the boats. I was willing to bet it all. But it's the thing that you can't see that will kill you. Yeah. So COVID, right? Yeah. Had I didn't know. I signed this personal guarantee and my logic was, well, if the restaurant fails, I have a rent deposit in place on both businesses. So worst case, I've got a six-month rent deposit on this place. I close the business. gives me six months to find someone else to come and take it. And it's in a prime location. Mm-hmm. No issue to rent it out. Yeah. Well, post-COVID market, nobody wants to rent that building. Not yeah. at the rate that I paid pre-COVID. So, oh my gosh, it's an yeah. absolute nightmare. So in a roundabout way, and a long-winded answer to your question, those early days of building resilience have now meant that when these things happen, like this thing that's just happened, my heart rate doesn't jump above 50. No. Just like, cool. Yeah. I've, I've been there. Like, And now the next time something happens, I've now got this to add to it. So there's, I'm building a stack of evidence yeah. that I can not only cope, but I can thrive and make good decisions in incredibly stressful situations. Definitely, and that just comes from practice. I mm. mean, you cannot learn that. You've got to experience mm. it, I feel. I read a quote that you said that if you want to make money, like you wouldn't go into a restaurant business. Mm. Why, why did you do it? Um, so the model I have to, I haven't, uh, the model that we have in our business is quite unique mm. and does make money and, and, and will make money. A one-site restaurant is very, very difficult to make money. You have to love it. Mm. You have to be in it, running it, because the margins are now so tight. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick play on this as an example, right? Cool. Let's say you take a thirty-seater restaurant in Chelsea. Cool. Rent seventy-five k. Rates. Let's call it thirty k. You're at one hundred and five. Kitchen wages one two five. Front of house wages one two five. Um, so you're base cost already there if you then include all of your your maintenance etc etc you're probably looking at running cost circa half a million a year yeah? yeah let's then say that your food and drink cost is run at you're running at 75 percent margin 25 percent cost um and your upfront cost to build that out launch it capex we call it um let's say you have to fill it out from scratch whatever you're going to spend half a million so half a million upfront cost base running cost of half a million a year yeah. and then your variable cost which is your food and drink cost of 25% of your turnover yeah yeah so if you make a million pounds a year revenue your running cost your sorry your, your baseline cost is your half a million providing your staff can achieve that 20 grand a week based on 30 covers that's being full pretty much all the time yeah yeah and then your variable cost of 250,000 so margin in theory on a traditional model 250 the problem is to turn 30 covers per 30 covers per sitting, three sittings a day, 90 covers a day, spend per head at the local area, say 50, 60 pounds, just doing the maths on it. You need to be full every day. Yeah. So what happens when you're then, your Tuesday lunch, Wednesday lunch, Thursday lunch isn't busy and your Monday, Tuesday, Thursday evening isn't busy, but you've got an offer on a Monday, for example. Yeah that revenue comes down from maybe a million a year, 20 grand a week. Let's say you can start hitting 10 grand a week. Well, at 10 grand a week, you're at half a million a year. That's your base running cost. Yeah. But you then got to take your food and drink cost off that, which is 25%. 
now all of a sudden you're losing a hundred plus thousand pounds a year. Mm. So in a good market, in a busy market, yes, you can make money. I've got restaurants that, that, that are profitable operationally, but they're in key areas, Covent Garden, etc. right? Mm. And they're, and to, the amount that you would make off that one restaurant, in the scheme of things, if you're making a hundred grand a year, it's not a lot of money. No. Really, it's no, not. not. By the time you pay your corporate tax and everything else, it's not a lot of money. No. The way that we do it now is we have a, essentially it's venture, we have a portfolio of brands. We ex- so to our investors, we say, rather than invest in one restaurant and a high percentage chance it will not work, invest in a spread of 14 brands with us. Yeah. We incubate those brands in London in prime locations to build brand equity. And then we grow those brands through license agreements where we are not the operator into other markets, Saudi, Dubai, etc. Mm. That franchise partner commits to opening a certain number of stores, 10 stores in five years. They pay us for the license and they pay us a percentage of their revenue. The okay. only associated cost is us to maintain quality in those stores. Mm-hmm. So now I can open 50 stores with no upfront capex, no ongoing risk in terms of running costs other than support. And I can build the brand of that site that I have in London. I'm, um, my risk profile is the one location which we can focus on. Yeah. So that's our current model. Right. And that's another way that you can do it. Mm. I'm not saying that no restaurants work or make money. I'm saying that in this market, particularly where food cost has gone through the roof, yeah. electricity cost has gone through the roof, utility costs have gone through the roof, and there's a shortage of labour which has driven the cost of labour up, that model I mentioned at the start of 25% labour, 25% food cost, 25% the rest and 25% profit yeah. is a dream nowadays you don't get that anymore no. and it only takes us, us to our point about you've got quiet Monday quiet Tuesday quiet Wednesday all of a sudden you're down on budget yeah. and you've gone from positives and negatives so it's high risk there's lots of nuance there's so many moving parts there's a lot of upfront capital needed and it's just a difficult business that being said it's also one of the most rewarding businesses you can have. Yeah. Because you can see the impact that it makes. Like the amount of people that would come up to me when I had the restaurant the, the restaurant in, in Norwich when I first opened and say, this literally is like, so glad this exists. I'm here three times a week. I love the food. It's made my, my kids eat differently. As many things about it. Mm. You know, you're seeing this every day and having yeah. this every day. It's rewarding. You've created something tangible that you can sit in, you can feel, you can... It's, yeah. it's an expression. You've had an idea in your head and then you're sat in this building. It's like, wow, like I brought yeah. this to life. So you just need to balance those two things, Definitely. right? And that is probably your why and that feeds the fire, I guess. Mm. A positive comment like that, a sure. positive review, sure. fuels you for the next and the next and the next. Sure. But food is hard. People who aren't in food think it's easy because it's food it's so hard super difficult so i think it's important to highlight that as well Mm. so you're also an investor yourself how do you think the market's looking at the moment very expansive question yeah (laughs) Um, well typically i mean financial markets follow uh, their history repeats itself right we have bull and bear markets we have recessions every eight to 12 years or so and there's a knock-on effect across that's across a range of industries from financial markets right at the moment there's no doubt we're in a recession which has meant that from a from a investor landscape perspective private equity venture even angels money is harder to come by than it probably has been for the last 
10 years yeah. at the moment, right? So startups that would be would receive big checks at big valuations five or six years ago are now scrapping around for money to keep going because their business model is predicated upon having to raise every six to 12 months. Yeah. That model for me isn't one that I like, no. that, I, um, that I invest in or that I, in the way that I run a business myself. Mm. So you have different ways of running a business. Traditional way of running a business is your revenue exceeds your costs and you make a profit. The profit's reinvested and you grow. Yeah. You take investment where needed. If you if you can um, increase revenue without increasing cost base beyond revenue, you can take investment and still maintain a healthy business. Mm. There may be a period where the cost base is higher, but you're you know you you have a plan and a forecast for how that's going to equal out and go beyond. What we've seen is that a lot of food businesses have adopted this tech model, where they will run at a huge loss for a sustained period of time to build brand. Yeah. And when the rate of adoption gets to a certain point, they reach profitability. But food isn't tech. No. There's a, the, the replicable cost involved doesn't drop in the same way that it does with, with tech, right? You mm. create a piece of software, you sell it over and over again, and there's no marginal in- increase of um, cost of sale. That's, food doesn't work like that. No. The food is way more nuanced, right? We, we, we don't realize how fragile our food system is. And it's influenced, the cost is influenced by a number of different factors. Droughts, um, logistical issues, wars in Ukraine, mm. you know? One of my one of our core ingredients had a 60% price increase, for example. It's huge. Right? It's huge, right? So it's way more nuanced than tech. So a lot of food businesses, and I think that's what we're talking about in particular, yeah. have... Um, have and my prediction is will continue to suffer and we'll see many of them go particularly in alt protein because they've been had inflated valuations that aren't based on 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 real life quite frankly yeah and the market's at least in retail as i see it is is pretty saturated plant-based protein also hasn't been able to replace milk milk in the same way that plant-based milk has you haven't got that similar level of adoption um but into investing generally um I think these markets and these times are where the great companies of tomorrow are made. Because yes. you have to learn, you have to build resilience, you have to learn the, all of the aspects of a business. If you look at the, the businesses that came out of the last recession, Airbnb, except these, mm. these kind of businesses, they were built in those challenging times. That's where yeah. entrepreneurs are built. So um, the way I've, I've got, you know, the way that I look at it at the moment, is that there's some really exciting companies that I'm seeing. I'm still getting sent decks all the time. I'm, I'm looking at a lot of exciting stuff. We spoke about one off camera, which is a, um, a, a company that's replacing mink fur. There's some amazing innovation going on. 100%. Um, and, it's, it's, and it's exciting. But for the most part, yeah, companies are struggling to raise at the moment. There's no doubt. No, for sure. And what do you kind of look for? Like what kind of things, let's say you're looking at a deck, you're looking sure. at new companies, sure. what do you look for that catches your eye and you think, yeah. So I think it's important, me. so again, just to read, when I started investing, um, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like everything, right? Yeah. Restaurant didn't have a clue. Um, nightlife didn't have a clue. Like, I didn't have a clue. So I would just read, listen to podcasts, try and learn as much as possible and just start. I think I'm going to start and I had to develop a philosophy. So my philosophy is, for example, the minute the money leaves my bank account, it's no longer mine. Yeah. And I, I don't count that as me having that money anymore. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah, so I can get comfortable with the investment. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I'm founder focused. So great idea, poor founder. Mm. Mm, no, because even if a great idea, poor founder can't execute, it won't work. Yeah. Poor idea, great founder, 
interested because interesting potentially still because they're able to pivot the idea and create something that will work. So mm. founder focused, who are the founders? What are they about? What have they been through previously? Why are they doing it? What have they built so far? Um, I invest very early stage. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's smaller checks, but early stage, higher risk and where I can add value. So yeah. is it something, for, I have to ask myself a set of questions, which I'll try and remember off the top of my head. Like, is it something that I can, can feel passionate about? Is it something that can make an impact? Um, is it something that can scale based on the trajectory of where the space is going? Could I work with the founders and do I think they, they've got what it takes? Mm. Who else is in? That's something, I mean, who else can, yeah. I don't know it all. It's a good sign if there's some good people that I respect that are involved as well. And I've got a, kind of a list of questions that I ask when I review this kind of things. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of stick to your guns. And so I've done a couple where I think, I just got excited. Probably shouldn't have done that, right? Right. But there's been some that I've, that I've, that I've done where... I knew from day one, like Dirty is a prime one. Yeah, right? great. No, and no, Andy and Simon. Well, they came to me like, look, we're going to do this. They didn't even have a product at this point. The pre-money valuation was five million. I mean, yeah. but which is expensive, yeah. considering there's no product, there's no, there's, there's no traction at all. But believe in them big time. I personally use those products mm-hmm. and love them, and it's made an impact on my life. I can see where the market's going when it comes to mushrooms. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. that's one that's done incredibly well and continues mm. to, right? So I think it's, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you listen to your gut quite well. Yes. I feel like you've got quite good gut instinct as well. From listening at your journey so far, mm. although you've taken risks, you've kind of followed... Well, let's talk there. about that for a sec, right? Mm-hmm. Gut instinct, what is that? I believe that you're, if you create a clear vessel, you can listen to your body. your gut your body your source whatever you want to call it Mm. if you are unclear and what makes us what makes us a clear vessel it's it's um practices that connect you to yourself mindfulness meditation silence etc right it's clean foods and drinks it's um taking time for yourself It's, it's it's investing in your your own wellness to build a clear vessel that allows you to listen to your gut and connect if you are busy, highly caffeinated, or hungover, or having in diff- having difficult digesting your food, or li- in- engaged in toxic conversation, media, whatever, it's going to be hard to hear what you're what's coming yeah. from you and listen to yourself ultimately, right? So true. So I think a lot of it's connected to, to what again what we put into our body. It's so true, and it goes back to how you know food, health, lifestyle, wellness it really is at the center of everything because it just creates so much clarity. Sure. Um, so yeah, that is, that's a really good point. And would you say you look to invest in businesses which are plant-based or like doing good for the planet? Is that your kind of niche? Or yeah, I'd say that's my niche. Don't, don't mean what, I've, done, I've, I've invested in a few that aren't, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, it's plant-based, it's wellness, it's typically FMCG or service-based, um, some tech, but mostly, yeah, around plant-based wellness, sustainability, mm. stuff that also I have a base uh, enough of an understanding of to to see if it will work or add value to. Yeah, right. If it's something that I don't understand, I can't really add any value, and it's just a mm. money play. I'm nowhere near the biggest investor. In fact, I'm on most on most um, funding rounds. I'm typically the smallest investor. Yeah. But for me, it's about can I add value 
beyond just the cash mm. and is it something that I want to be part of would I be proud yeah. to say that I'm involved in this company because yeah. it's not about making money for me it's about I'm, ga- I'm, I'm gaining experience at the moment mm, I guess um, it's passion as well like yeah. if you're passionate about it you yeah. want to be interested in it's it it's exciting right like yeah. you see like like get the new flavor sent through from Dirty or mm. there's a protein brand I just invested in the US um, the guy that made the Game Changers film he's yeah. brought a nutrition brand I've just invested in that Amazing. getting that product coming through you're like this is exciting to be part of this right yeah. you're, feeling, you're feeling part of it yeah definitely now let's go on to Miami Foods so can you talk a bit about th- this journey sure. how this came about where this came in on your timeline sure and also kind of where the future is for Miami Foods yeah where you're of course so um, I guess again following interest I'm super interested in alternative protein I think we need a more sustainable solution to feed people and I'd invested in a, in a few different brands previously and it came at an interesting time because the restaurants had beat me up pretty bad yeah. <laughs> but I'm still in it and you know we'd raised our fund we'd deployed a lot of the money the restaurants that we'd opened were up and running and I got this opportunity alongside that from to invest in Miami. They'd never raised money, but the uh, the chef who was given an equity at the start wanted to sell some of the shares to buy a house, basically. Okay. So a friend of mine came to me that I've invested with before and said, "Look, I've got this company. You wouldn't believe their their numbers. Like they're profitable. They're the first like plant based meat brand I've seen that's actually making money. They've got some big listings. They're doing really well, um, and the chef's willing to sell some of his equity for quite cheap." do you want to buy some of it with me? I was like, send me the numbers, looked at it, I'm like, I've never heard of this brand, yeah. but it's a really solid business. And the restaurants, I, I got some samples of the restaurant, the chefs loved the products, and the health credentials really stood out for me. The, the, the burger was 0.6 grams of sat fat per 100, oh, whereas wow. a beef burger's six, Wow. a Beyond burger's five and a half, so it's, and a clean label, like six yeah. or seven ingredients. Amazing. No, like, no, like, weird chemicals you can't pronounce. Very clean. And when you eat it, yes, it's still a burger, but it tastes a lot lighter and cleaner. And there isn't coconut oil coming out of it and all sorts, yeah. right? So I was like, great. I like the product. Met the founder. Got on like a house on fire. Met the rest of the team. I was like, brilliant. Cool. I'll invest. Yeah. So invested in that. Um, and I, when I invested in that, actually, I had like my favorite watch. Like I said, I'd never sell. And I'd had to pay off a load of bills for the restaurant. And I was like, oh, the timeline was coming to an end. I'm like, I'm going to have to part with this watch. Oh, gosh. And I was like, can I put my ego aside and get rid of the watch and do it? So, yeah, sold the watch, invested. Um, and and over the next few months, I was doing like a monthly call with the guys, like making introductions to them for restaurants. And every time I introduced them to a restaurant, the restaurants loved the products. I'm like, wow, this is This is working. This is working. And then the founder said to me, look, he's like, jokingly, he's like, why don't you come be the CEO? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm in restaurants. I love the restaurants. I'm in the restaurants. But at the time, the restaurant stuff was not slowing down, but a lot of our work was in the Middle East and I was based in London. Um, and it was kind of stable and I had, I had, some, I had some extra time. I said, look, I can, I can help with some business development and, and help whatever. And over time, like, I just had some ideas. I think we need to do a full rebrand. I, I've got some ideas on how to run a team. And he has other businesses. He has care homes and other, other things. And he said, look, I really think you should think about being the CEO. He said, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. I'm like, okay. And he was like, and he put the offer in front of me. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. Like yeah. it was a big equity, it was a big equity play. And he's like, my plan is I want to get the company to exit in three to four years. 
Um, here's an equity offer for you. I think this is a roadmap for how we do it. I'm open to your ideas. You can do whatever you want with it. And I kind of put a plan to him. He said, yep, signed off and jumped into it. Wow, It's now been 80, 18, 18 months in now, yeah. That's so exciting. Mm. And I think you're right. I think having an alternative protein with clean ingredients is key because that is the barrier to so many people consuming for it sure. is the ingredients. For sure. So that's amazing. Mm. And you're expanding it into the UAE. Correct. How's that? What's the UAE market like versus the UK market? At the minute, most of the businesses in the UK are also in the Netherlands. We're in Spain, we're in Portugal, we're in Greece, and, and now UAE. UAE is a really interesting market because um, it's growing, but it's mm. still very small. There's not as much competition in the region. And people are very open-minded. I've seen a huge shift with Dubai and, and that region, actually, where the last few years where I've been going, it's felt very much like it's all about partying, it's all about bling, it's all about surface level. Mm. Now it feels like it's a huge shift towards like wellness, sustainability. Like it's, I think it's amazing, wow, really, cool. really cool. And so obviously plant-based food goes goes hand in hand with that. Um, so um, so yeah, launching there. I've also got a restaurant project launching there at the moment. Uh, we're building a, a cafe, wellness studio um, and a rooftop restaurant with a farm next wow, to it which, which is actually opening next week the first phase so cool. yeah so we're building that at the moment um and so i'm using miami to supply that but also we've started to pick up other customers in the region and so yeah that that that's ongoing um and just product development like yeah. constantly evolving product right tasting is believing doesn't matter if it's healthier if it's more sustainable everything else it has to taste better yeah so it's an ongoing development process and you know it's regularly tasting trialing can we make it cleaner, cleaner, cleaner all the time? Yeah. Um, and, and it's a journey. And, you know, like we've mm. run it, like we're, st- we're still technically a startup. Yeah. Although it's, uh, it's, it's a growing business. You, you have stuff, it's like putting fires out every day. Yeah, 100%. You know, and I had to learn pro- a product business from scratch very yeah. quickly. I learned on the Dealing job. with factories, dealing with, you know, like with supply chain, logistics, dealing with retailers, dealing with obviously restaurants I'm familiar with. But mm. there's a lot to learn. Um, yeah. but it's been great like I've really learned a lot yeah and you seem to have taken it kind of international quite quickly in comparison to some brands might be like let's do UK and then we'll move mm. how have you found kind of making it international and growing that way it's just been in response to demand really people yeah. got in touch with us can, can we get it amazing yeah cool like is it hasn't really been part of a strategy UAE is now a strategy a strategic mm-hmm. move there um because we have an anchor client with with our own projects, but mm. um, it wasn't yeah it wasn't necessarily strategic. No. Um, we were looking to launch in the US last year. We had a, a goal, I won't say who, but a big retail anchor client which fell out at the last minute, which was disappointing. Mm. But you know they're not going anywhere. They've been there for however many years, so maybe it'll come back on. Yeah, um, and we are focused on the UK for sure. There's still there's still a, a big enough market in the UK for us. Yeah. But um, no, it was it was literally response to demand. Someone reached out. Can we do it? Can we make it work? Yeah. Is there a, yeah, understand the risk. Okay, yep, cool, mm. do it. So that's cool. What kind of innovations are you hoping? I mean, maybe a lot of it is secret, so you can't yeah. say right now, but what are a lot, a lot of the innovations that you're hoping to develop with Miami Foods? Yeah, so it's, I think where people go wrong a lot of the time in our space is they make really niche product that no one buys. Yeah. So the buyer, the buyers get into people's heads. Like, oh, maybe we want the new thing, the next thing. People have eaten the same four or five proteins for the last hundred, however many years. Yeah. Chicken, beef, fish, lamb. Like, this is what people eat. Yeah. So why am I going to go and make, like, a 
popcorn calamari, right? Like you don't buy that conventionally. No. So I think the innovation is going to come from really developing the quality of the core products, mm. making them as clean and as healthy as possible, yeah. um, and taste as, as good as good as possible. That's where the real innovation is going to come. Um, and then it's looking at other forms. So do we look at precision fermentation? Do we look at cell based? Do we actually make actual animal protein? But yeah. you know, can, can we pivot there? So mm. we're, 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 you know, we're open-minded to where the brand goes next, basically. Yeah, no, yeah. 100%. So how do you balance everything? Because you've got a lot on your plate. Mm. And I think this comes back to health, wellness, diet, again, kind of listening to your body. But how else do you balance everything that you've got on? I've got an amazing assistant who's like a replica of me in, in a lot of ways Amazing. and is i think the, that that relationship compounds right the more you work with someone the more they know mm. how you would respond what you want to do so and that's been a, a, a test in itself learning to delegate things and just again like constant analysis review what have i done today that someone else could have done mm. so i double down on the things that i can uniquely do and try and outsource everything else so just efficiency in terms of how i work um keeping up-to-date kind of to-do lists in order of importance delegating those out prioritizing the focus on the ones that i need to do um prioritizing discomfort every single day mm-hmm. whatever the form that takes whether that's training whether that's ice whether that's sauna whether that's whatever mm-hmm. trying to be uncomfortable every day Why? um because i think it's easy to be comfortable so true to, and when we get comfortable we get lazy when we get lazy we get unproductive when we get unproductive things don't work so i think finding discomfort doing the doing the hard stuff Mm. Um, going to bed early. Yeah. Now I'm getting old, like what being boring. Do you go to bed? Typically nine thirty. Okay, that's good. However, now I'm as in, in the summer. I try and do it in keeping with the sunrise and sunset. So okay. I have no blinds in my room. Oh wow. Get to bed when it gets dark. Wake up when it gets light. Gets light. Nice. That's and that nice. feels good. Mm. In the winter, you can't do that here, right? Because no. it gets dark at like four o'clock. Yeah. Um, yeah just just clean just just clean living for the most part yeah yeah good foods drinks etc one of my questions was going to be like what other kind of rituals do you incorporate in your life but you may have covered a few of them but are there any others that are like religious practices the thing that everyone says they do that they that most people don't i'm going to be that guy meditation every day without fail it's like brushing my teeth now and is that meditation just you quietly in a room or could that be walking meditation, driving meditation? I like walking meditation. I'm not against yeah. it, but f- and, and I will if, I, if that's the only way to get it in. But for the most part, it's like wake up straight in a cold shower to, to, to fully wake up. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, if you try and meditate straight away, you just fall asleep. Yeah. Back back in, sit down. At least, at least 20 minutes is a minimum, but just go with it and see what feels good. Um, if I don't do that in the morning, I notice that I'm not as calm through the day. Amazing. It makes a big difference. Yeah. And again, it's like you anyone can do the practices when things are good, but they're designed for when things are bad, yes. right? So it's like being consistent with them when things get challenging. And that's a lot of the practice that I relied on when things were particularly stressful, like recently with this this, this rent thing, like it's returning to those practices and mm. it's very grounding. Yeah, mm. I think routine is so important. Like I have a big morning one, not so much an evening one. Probably need to work more on like my pre-sleep routine because mm. that's probably something that I'd easily kind of just ignore. Mm. But I do think routine is yeah really key. To it's just... amazing that how you feel if you wake up and the first thing you do is turn your phone on mm. and you're like in Instagram straight away, or you're yeah. on Messenger straight away. Like it's you're setting yourself up for the rest of the day with that first thirty yeah. minutes to an hour. 
if you're rather than doing that you're shocking the system you're doing something uncomfortable straight away you're sitting back down you're going into your you're sitting with yourself mm. you're starting slow maybe you're reading for 10 15 minutes you're going for a walk like you know if you do that in the first hour or so of the day the rest of the day your foundation you've built your day on is calm is connected it's you know yeah. versus straight up you know your cortisol spikes like probably me i need to work <laughs> so good it's so true though i think it's something that's so easy your phone is right there it's like alarm goes off of course Ooh, swipe, swipe, swipe. Look, we're so all easy. like we're all in progress right like there's yeah. still stuff that i do that like you know it's not conducive to my health mm-hmm. you know like i my sleep isn't great like you know the last few nights i think i've probably slept four or five hours a night mm. i probably i'm probably on planes too much yeah you know there's lots of things that i still do that maybe aren't aren't great but yeah, it's but being aware of what they are and then yeah. being mindful of them and, and trying to work on them I think and I guess we're only human so we've got to you know give ourselves credit where we where we can so I've got two final questions for mm. you firstly if anyone if anyone's kind of starting out in the plant-based space maybe they've got an idea maybe they've started do you have any advice for someone who's kind of in the food plant-based space yeah I think most people don't start mm. yeah I mean my first my thing is just do it I mean, I started greedy vegan, just did it. That's where the learning comes. You just by yeah. doing it, right? Yeah. And like, you know, especially if you're young and you haven't got any responsibilities or dependents, like, just go out and fail. Mm. Go and do it. You learn way more from doing that. I think people can sit around and procrastinate and want it to be perfect when actually most of the value lies in just going out and doing it. So mm. true. So true. Good advice. Mm. Okay, the final question is my favorite question. It's quite a tough one, but what's your last meal? Starter, main course, and dessert. I get, all, I get all of it, yeah. Okay, starter, controversial, basic. This is I can't believe how basic this is. I just, do you know, you know, have you tried that Moorish smoked hummus? Oh my god, it's my favorite. It's, it's, it's my a joke. Favorite. I did a video on it. Yesterday. I would just have, I would just have that. Yeah, I would just have I the hummus have a pot of that, with like, easily. like maybe like some like hemp crackers or something. Yeah, just pot of that, like the bigger pot. Yes, heaven. That's done for a starter. Amazing. For a main, I'm gonna have to say one of my restaurant dishes. The yeah. new menu we're launching at the place in Dubai. We're doing like a um like a tempeh satay, like kelp oh, noodle wow. salad. It's a it's a joke. Oh wow. Yeah. That's heaven. And I'll choose the dessert from that. We're doing a raw carrot cake. Oh my gosh. Yeah, carrot. I need to find out where this place is. I need to go when I'm next in Dubai. Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. That is heaven. Louis, thank you so, thank you. so much for coming on. I feel like we could have gone on for at least another hour and spoken We've definitely more. gone over, haven't we? We have, but I don't <laughs> mind. It's been amazing. So interesting. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. The full episode is also uploaded to YouTube now, so if you'd like to watch your podcasts, head over and check it out. As always, we are really pushing the podcast at the moment and have some amazing creative content in mind. So please continue to support us, share and subscribe, and we will continue to bring some amazing guests to my kitchen. Thanks so much again and see you next week.